Yeah, I'm often reminded uh, by the story that the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew tells us about who Jesus is and, and, and where Jesus came from. I think so often as we think about the Christmas story, we fast forward some of the details that don't really make the Hallmark movie quote line. And in doing so, we miss out on the sovereignty of God interwoven through both the old covenant and the new covenant that leads us straight to Christ. But in the book of Matthew, starting in chapter one, before the birth of Christ is announced, it tells us where Jesus came from. And I believe that there are some principles hidden within Matthew one that would in a fresh way illuminate the Christmas story for you this morning. In Matthew one, the Bible says this, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, who is the son of David and the son of Abraham, for Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Thus there were 14 generations from Abraham to David 14 from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. It is so often that we fast forward through this part of the Christmas story. But if we were to read the entire genealogy today, you would see names like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, Hezron, Ram, Nashon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David, Solomon, and so many others. And it was important for Matthew to begin the story of Jesus in this way because it was central to the purpose of this book. See, Mark was written to the Romans and, and Luke was written to the Greeks and, and John was written as an eyewitness account of Christ to all who would listen, but Matthew was different. The book of Matthew was written for a Jewish audience and Matthew was writing his fellow Jewish countrymen to prove this point. Jesus is in fact the promised Messiah. Jesus is in fact the fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets spoke about. And Jesus in fact will save the people from their sins for only the sinless Lamb of God can atone for the darkness of humanity. See, because of his audience, Matthew wants to make this point. Not only is he the Christ, the anointed son of David who will restore the kingdom, and not only is he Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins, but he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is a reason to celebrate for God is in fact with his people again. And just for a moment this morning, I want you to think about the genealogy of Christ, the way that you would think about a concert where every note and, and every name is, is telling a different part of a divine story until it reaches its final crescendo. And it's like all of creation has been holding its breath, waiting in eager expectation, just wondering if their story would have a redemptive end. Oh, we've heard rumors of a savior. We've had dreams about this day. Could it be now? Could it be here? Could it be in our city? Could it be in our generation? We thought it was just a story. We was worried it was just a myth, but it, could it be that God in fact has remembered his promise? 
friend, on Christmas, we declare Jesus is who the Bible says he is, and Jesus can do what the Bible says he can do. For he is the Son, the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. In fact, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from amongst the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. And the Bible continues now in Luke 2, and there in that country, shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And, and an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and, and they was greatly afraid. And the angel said unto them, watch, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I love the instructions of the angels. Fear not, there is good news. It comes with great joy and it is for all people. There is a savior and he is Jesus Christ the Lord. And friend, this is still the good news today. There is a savior and at his name, all oppression will cease. At his name, all darkness will flee. At his name, all sins are forgiven and all sicknesses can be healed. And yes, it's true. Jesus will save the world, but watch what the angels declare. It's unto you is born this day. On this night and in this field, while shepherds was minding their own business, taking care of their own sheep, not seeking to be part of any historical event or spiritual story. The shepherds weren't looking for the Messiah, but on this dark, cold night, the God of the universe was looking for them. Yes, he is the savior of the world. Yes, he is the sovereign God. Yes, he is the all-knowing, all-seeing, omnipresent Lord of the universe. But on this night, the angels declared, unto you a savior is born. See, when you weren't thinking about God, God, God was thinking about you. When you weren't searching for him, he was searching for you. When Jesus was in a manger, you were on his mind. And when Christ hung on the cross, you were his reward. Oh, a thousand times in history, a baby has become a king. But only once in history did a king become a baby. And this day would be unlike any day that these shepherds had ever had before. I love these shepherds because they represent us. While they were watching their sheep, God was watching over them. They're scared to death for no reason, obsessed with the busyness of what surrounds them and completely unaware of the miracle being developed in the stable right next door. But fear not, Snohomish. Fear not, Seattle. Fear not, Pacific Northwest. There is good news and we have great joy for Jesus has been born and that changes everything. 
for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Oh, to the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Yes, it is true, he will reign on David's throne. He will establish his kingdom and uphold it with justice, and the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it through him. And it wasn't just the angels who visited the shepherds. The Virgin Mary received an angelic visitation as well. And it came with a very similar instruction. Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bring forth the son. You shall call his name Jesus. And Mary says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. In fact, 365 times in scripture, the command fear not is given. One for every day of the year. It is almost as if God knew all along the thing we would struggle with most. And out of this experience, the world's first ever Christmas carol is written by Mary. She responds to the angel, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit, it rejoices in God my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. His mercy extends to those who fear him. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful and to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. I, I love when, when Matthew tells the story of Jesus. I love that he records the genealogy and then does something so strange and so countercultural. We don't notice it in our 21st century context, but in the first century, it would have been revolutionary. When Matthew talks about the genealogy of Jesus, he doesn't just mention men, he includes women. In the ancestral record of Christ's birth. In fact, in the first six verses of Matthew 1, the genealogy of Christ mentions four different women. And I wanna tell you their story today. Starting in Matthew 1 and in verse three, Matthew says that Jesus comes from the lineage of Judah, who was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. You may not have an automatic recognition of, of who Tamar is this morning, but let me share it with you. She was a widow. She had two husbands, both of them died. Not only is she a widow, but she is barren. And when she is finally able to get pregnant, her community tries to kill her because they think that she's a harlot. By all accounts, Tamar has a difficult life. She finds herself widowed, pregnant, alone, forgotten, ashamed, and now fearing for her own safety. But her story is not without a redemptive end. Because of all the people who have confound themselves in the genealogy of Christ, a woman who felt forgotten was remembered by God. Yeah. Now watch, 
I want you to hear something today. All of your feelings are real, but not all of your feelings are true. And it's a necessary spiritual discipline to be able to differentiate between those two things. Tamar felt forgotten, but she had the God who held every moment of her broken life. And here is the message of Christmas as told through the genealogy of Christ. God is in the business of redeeming your story. See, when you get born again, he places you within his family and in doing so, he attaches you to his inheritance. No, you've got royal blood because when you get born again, you are adopted into the king's family. And here's what I love about Jesus. No matter how dark your past is, when you get placed in God's family, it corrects the narrative of your life. You may have come from shame, but you're headed to glory. You may have come from deceit, but you're headed to truth. You may have come from rejection, but you are headed to acceptance. The only thing people thought when they heard Tamar's name was the mistake she had made. But look what the Lord has done. Tamar was forgotten by man, but she was remembered by God. Why? Because God shares his home with the forgotten. And in Matthew 1, a Jewish historian writes the genealogy of Christ. And in doing so, reminds every reader of this story in perpetuity all throughout history that these are the type of people who make it into the family tree of Jesus. It wasn't just Tamar, it was Rahab. For Jesus came from the lineage, Sam and the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. The story goes like this, Israel sent two spies to scope out the city of Jericho. When the king of Jericho found out, he went looking for them, but couldn't find them because Rahab had hid God's spies in her house. Rahab's house was known for sexual immorality, but on this day, she would make a decision that would change her entire life. Watch, the whole city was about to collapse. Everyone in Jericho would be killed, but a small and seemingly insignificant act of faith would place a sinful woman in a savior story. Watch the story. Rahab hid spies in her house, and in doing so, her family was saved. I want you to see the analogous relationship to the way that we interact with Christ. When you invite Jesus into the room of your heart, it doesn't matter how bad your life has been, you and your household will be saved. See, the most dangerous sin that you face is the one in your own backyard. It's also the hardest to see. But if you will be ruthless with your own sin, you won't have much time to be worried about others. See, sin will bring destruction, but if you'll hide the righteous one in your heart, on the day of judgment, you will be saved. See, long after the walls of Jericho had fallen, the story of Rahab would live on. A sinful woman who met a righteous God, who enveloped her in his unfolding story of redemption. I want you to see something. Rahab might be my name, but redeem is my identity. Jericho might be my dwelling, but Zion is my destination. See, Rahab was a sinful woman who encountered a merciful God and she finds herself in the genealogical record of the Messiah. Why? Because God shares his home with the broken. 
It wasn't just Tamar and it wasn't just Rahab. In Matthew 1 and in verse 5, it says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. See, Ruth had a similar story. Do you see the pattern? Her husband had died. She was barren and she was a Moabite, a sworn enemy of God's people. And there was a great famine in Moab where Ruth was living. Ruth's last remaining relative announces, I am leaving Moab to go find food. And Ruth in an act of desperation says this, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people, they will be my people and your God will be my God. So get this, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, journey from Moab and they go back to their ancestral home and they wind up in a little old city named Bethlehem where Ruth marries Boaz and in doing so becomes the great grandmother of King David. The gospel is so powerful that it takes sworn enemies and turns them into friends. Only a God as good as Jesus could put a Moabite woman in the genealogy of a Jewish savior. Ruth was an enemy of God, but finds herself in the lineage of Christ. Why? Because God shares his home with the undeserving. But it wasn't just Tamar, and it wasn't just Rahab, and it wasn't just Ruth. There was one more woman yet to be mentioned in Matthew 1. And this would help complete the story of where Christ came from. In Matthew 1 and in verse 6, it says, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And David's great sin, taking the wife of another man, killing her husband, bringing judgment upon the entire nation. Bathsheba was exploited, stolen, abused, ripped away from her family. And I assume the people of that day thought to themselves, there is no possible way God could redeem this story. And yet here we are. Don't you see the pattern? Barren, bewildered, depressed, deserted. God used it all and what he produced from that lineage was the perfect prince of peace. Hear me, you don't get Jesus without Tamar. You don't get Jesus without Rahab. You don't get Jesus without Ruth and you don't get Jesus without Bathsheba. And the reason why some of us miss out on the joy of Christian living is because we have failed to realize that we don't get miracles without sickness. We don't get revival without repentance. We don't get peace without storms and we don't get resurrection without death. No, Jesus hasn't come to eliminate my pain, but instead to give purpose to my pain and all the times that I felt for forgotten, broken, exploited, and alone. These were actually the building blocks of my story that led me straight to him. And here's what the birth of Christ announces. I felt forgotten, but I am remembered. 
I felt sinful, but I am forgiven. I felt overlooked, but I am redeemed. And I felt alone, but I have been adopted. Only a story as good as this one can place people like Tamar and Rahab next to people like Mary and Joseph. See, when you're adopted into God's story, it is his goodness that has the final say. What if my tribe, my family, my life, or my upbringing has been a mess? I've got good news. Jesus has become your righteousness and in doing so has placed you in his story. And friend, that's what Christmas means to me. And if you were just to adopt the cultural version of, of, of Christmas, this would be just yet another winter holiday where we focus on us and we focus on the kind of hallmark version of, of the Christmas story. But, but when you read it for yourself from, from the pages of the Synoptic Gospels, what you are struck by is the reality of what it must have been like to be there and see it unfold right in front of you. You mean to tell us the Messiah is coming from a genealogical record filled with sinners? Yes, that's exactly what the Father is telling us. Do you mean that God would share his home with people that we've tried to cancel? People who we think don't deserve forgiveness? People who we think are so dirty and have made so many mistakes that they can't ever be redeemed? Yes, that's the message of Christmas, is that God takes your mess and because of his birth, sinless life, atonement, and resurrection. He takes your mess and makes it a miracle. Yes, that's the story of Christmas. And the greatest present that you could ever receive is a fresh revelation that Jesus, Emmanuel, the one who was with them 2,000 years ago is still the one who is with us today. He is still the one who walks through every broken part of our story, bringing healing and redemption wherever he goes. Listen, the birth of Jesus wasn't just a moment in history, it is the moment that splits history. And in doing so, places us on the right side of eternity. In just a moment, we will light candles and close this service with a Christmas hymn. And you may be asking yourself today, why do we light candles at Christmas? And here's the reality. We light candles on Christmas because although sorrow may last for a night, it is joy that comes in the morning. See, we light candles on Christmas because a baby from Bethlehem has transformed all of history. No, we light candles on Christmas because darkness has lost and hope has won. We light candles on Christmas because his law is love and his gospel is peace. No, we light candles on Christmas because 2,000 years later, Jesus is still the light of the world. And that's what Christmas means to the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, would you stand with me this morning?